Hello and welcome to One Week, One Year, a podcast where we watch and discuss a year of film history every week, starting from 1895, the dawn of cinema. This week is 1904, decade in. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Ellie. I'm a film projectionist, and joining me as always is... I'm Glenn Covell. I'm a filmmaker. And the other host. Uh, This is... (laughs) That made it sound like there's a third one that is missing. And the other host, uh, Joseph the Ghost. Hello, Joseph. Ooh. Um, not funny. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, as I said, it's a film history podcast that you can watch along with us uh, and on YouTube. Um, and uh, this is all copyright free, so we have a YouTube playlist with everything that we're going to be talking about this episode. Uh, with that being said... How you doing, Glenn? What's up? I just want to say you should end every joke with either funny or not funny, based on... (laughs) (laughs) That would be appropriate in my life in general, because I make a lot (laughs) of unfunny jokes. Uh, (laughs) I have a a new policy with with my partner where I can just like rescind a joke halfway through like if i know that it's not going anywhere you know i'll just go like i'll just say something abort abort yeah i'll just say some nonsense and then i'll be like you know what actually never mind and she'll be like okay cool <laughs> uh do you have any halloween plans glenn um not We're recording this on ho- around halloween but uh, right ooh spooky not releasing um, it for a while i guess not not really um i have like family that are doing halloweeny things but mm-hmm. i am i don't really have any like real halloween plans for uh, a fella such as myself it's a bummer I'm, you gonna I'm, watch I'm, a spooky movie i'm probably gonna watch some spooky movies um and over the garden wall i'm gonna watch that too i gotta do, okay so here's something that i'm trying to figure out is is over the garden wall more october vibes or november vibes you know um, or, or or september it, because uh, like it's very autumnal, but I don't know mm-hmm. if it's specifically scary. You know, it, no, it is. Uh, it is Halloweeny. It is spooky and scary, and like directly referencing Halloween. Okay. Um, but it is also a good November thing. Um, it is. It really. It does encompass all of autumn, which Halloween is a big part of that. But yeah. it is also like if it's after Halloween, don't feel like I can't watch it now. Yeah. I was realizing that it's probably too late to pick apples, which I feel like... Maybe I'm, not, maybe not. There might be, maybe might not. be a few left. I'm hoping that, that that they haven't been scavenged out of existence. Yeah. Because um, I wanted to... But it, it may be too late to pick a pumpkin. <laughs> I don't know. May, 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 I don't know. Pumpkin's usually fresh well, through Halloween, so... Thank you for the encouragement. Yeah. Um, Gotta get a pumpkin. I know. Yeah. How can you not? It's a little it's frustrating that uh, we're doing 1904 this week because I've looked ahead. 1907 has a bunch of spooky Halloween-appropriate films, and hmm. this was one of the least spooky years I think we've done. Yeah, even Melies was not uh, in his full spook zone. No, he was. He's pretty, uh, pretty restrained. <laughs> I mean, and by restrained, I mean like in comparison to his other stuff. Right. Yes. Still still f- 
fairly zany, but yeah. but for Melies, uh, some some pretty some astoundingly normal stuff, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> um, well, uh, given that, would you like to tell us the news of the year? The news, nineteen oh four. Henry Ford sets a new automobile land speed record of ninety one point three seven miles per hour. The Great Baltimore Fire destroys over 1,500 buildings in 30 hours. War! A surprising Japanese naval attack on Port Arthur in Manchuria starts the Russo-Japanese War. Virginia's opera Madame Butterfly premieres in Milan. United States Army engineers begin to work on the Panama Canal. The International Federation of Association Football, FIFA, is established. The third modern Olympic Games opens in St. Louis, Missouri. United States as part of the World's Fair. Marcus Lowe founds the People's Vaudeville Company, later renamed Lowe's Theatres, the oldest American theater chain. Motion picture pioneer Edward Mybridge dies at age 74. The first underground line of the New York City subway opens. English engineer John Ambrose Fleming receives a patent for the thermionic valve, or vacuum tube. The stage play Peter Pan premieres in London the end thank you <laughs> uh, that's the first time i haven't had the whole thing written out in front of me so i didn't know Ooh. exactly when it ended <laughs> <laughs> um well 1904 it's, kind of, it's kind a, of a slowly a slow year for movies it turns out which is made even more painful because like we just had two banger years you know we yeah i think this one definitely suffers in comparison with the last two. And and uh, those year, those two previous years seem to be indicative of great things to come, you know? Where, mm-hmm. How we were moving out of an older era and into something more... Something that more understanding of the craft and something more engaging and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's not, yeah. It's not horrible, horrible. But <laughs> they're, they're, not, they're not quite there yet. There's, you know, there's no. some growing pains. They're still That's... a little bit stuck in the the old ways of like point a camera at a thing and see what happens. <laughs> and we're getting sick of it. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, but we have uh, to start off probably the most notable movie of this year, unsurprisingly, a Georges Méliès film, of course. Uh, and that is the Impossible Voyage, uh, which. I would call maybe his most steampunk so far. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's like a lot of his stuff is very is very steampunky. Yeah. Uh way before that term existed. Um but after that term th- is set in time. Ref- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um yeah, it, it's it's another wacky sci-fi adventure. Um but yeah, there's a lot of like inventions and gadgets and like uh and vehicles. It's very vehicle heavy. Yes, which I you know, I, the the iconic image from this one is a sun in the style of a the trip to the moon moon with a face in it. Yeah. Um and I was thinking before I'd watched it that it was going to be uh another going to space movie, but that's mm. really only a small part of this. Um, right, it combines kind of like space adventure, undersea adventure, mountain. Adv- it's like all of his other like adventure movies kind of rolled up into one almost. 
Yeah, I mean, per the uh, the description that Melies sent out to American audiences, like the the whole idea is that they want to just kind of go on this grand voyage using every form of transport there is. There's mm-hmm. cars, there's dirigibles, and there's submarines, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, trains, it, it, flying trains. That's true, which is very whimsical. Yeah. Um, it it has a fairly uh, the structure. I would feel like it, I feel like it's kind of midway between trip to the moon and oh, what was the last the one from last week? uh, uh um, King, kingdom of the fairies kingdom of the fairies where kingdom of the fairies is a lot more based on like traversal um and mm. tr- trip to the moon is more going to fantastic place and then coming back mm-hmm. um uh but it also starts out with a a hall of scientists or or just i don't know explorers yeah. that kind of thing that less wizardy this time yeah, but still very much in the same vein of like a bunch of, a bunch of. Um, I think this is the first time where we've had uh, a bit more um, uh, uh, gender equality in the in the in the um, I don't know what you call it in the library of of knowledge, whatever wherever they're coming from. Um, oh, you mean? Uh, oh, I see. The it's, the, it's not. The exp- o- yeah, it's not only bearded men this time. Right, we've got we've got witch tra- uh, wizardry and witchcraft in this one. Yeah, not funny. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, they uh, the some of the people involved in this voyage are Secretary Rattlebrain, Archivist Mole, Vice President Humbug, and Engineer Crazy Loff, um, played by Meliers. Played by Meliers. He gives yes. himself the best name. <laughs> I wish um, these names were more incorporated into the films themselves because he's always he's he is coming up with all of these great character names. Yeah. Uh and they're they're just on like the brochure for like the for the movie. I mean I'd have to assume that in brochure, the original screenings Playbill, whatever you call it. Right. I'd have to assume in the original screenings that um Maybe this stuff would be more integrated because mm. I, maybe they're built for somebody talking alongside them and right. doing doing this whole show along with them. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a good point. Uh, but so so you know, there are a lot of ways that the things that we watch on YouTube, if they're if they're silent movies with no score or if they're silent movies with no person doing a whole you know audio visual show in front of them that we're like missing some key component um, yeah absolutely and, you know maybe these things were built for something more complex than just watching them silently on youtube uh but i i get the sense that that was not the intended viewing experience <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean the, the ones that are more self-contained and the ones that tell their story more visually are the ones that I feel like have stood the test of time a little better. Yeah. Um, that is a very good point. That that definitely the ones that uh, have kind of aged the best are the ones that don't require a specific soundtrack or a sort of like live narration or live pyrotechnics, as apparently a lot of these also did. Um, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Um but I, I mean, this was this was a fun one. Yeah, yeah, it's it's whimsical. Um, it's got, uh, you know, it's 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 twenty minutes long, which yeah, 
his longest one so far, I believe. Probably. Um, and so it's just lots of just fun scenes of people from moving moving from place to place. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are a lot of a lot of really cool sets in this one. A lot of like cool like kind of cross section sets. Yes. I'm thinking of like the submarine, mm-hmm. uh, the the train cars. The train There's cars a- were really cool. Uh, that actually reminded me very much of uh, Wes Anderson, specifically uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, which also has a sort of cross-section train set. I mean, huh, I don't remember the train specifically, but like cross-sections are all his bag. And yeah. I'm. we started seeing those a bit more recently, which is this very like reality-breaking device. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, yeah, no one no one does it except for Wes Anderson yeah. these days, I think. I mean, th- this one specifically, I was like, oh, Wes Anderson loves this movie. <laughs> like, I could see that, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of miniature sets in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that Melias has done before, but they're kind of more integrated into the the story in this one. I think other times we've seen sort of like whole kind of short films that are just built out of miniature sets. And this one is, like, a lot of... It's got some, like, wacky slapstick stuff. It's got the miniature sets. It's got uh, a lot of effects, like pyrotechnics. It kind of incorporates even more uh, techniques, I think, than he's done, even in his last two movies. Yeah, and some of the backgrounds in this are just beautiful, too. Um, Even the... um the warehouse where they're building all of the machines. Yeah. Um, it's got this like very lavish, um, illustration sort of in the background with like moving machinery in the foreground and the colors on this are really beautiful. Um, and, uh, late later in the movie, there's some like gorgeous painted, uh, wrecked trains on the sun and that kind of thing. Well, very cool. Spo- spoilers for late in the movie. But. <laughs> um, I also noticed in this one that he he started putting cop- copyrighted uh, on the set. Yeah, I mean, I think this would be the first. Oh, on the on the physical set. I think so. I think it's actually built. It looked to me like it was built into the set. But I guess it could have been added after. Oh, that. I didn't know that. I didn't, I, or I didn't notice that. Is that some? Different from where he, when he puts his little Star Films card in the corner, right? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's specifically something that was, like, actually painted onto the set or was just added afterwards. But it's you, it's definitely are, are you, different from his... Because he, he does usually incorporate his, his Star Films logo into the film somewhere. Yeah. Huh. Uh, I didn't notice that. Uh, but now it actually says copyrighted on it. I've I've noticed that his movies this year they did have like a different sort of outro card um, mm-hmm. than than before. That might be something to do with um, their new American distribution and all of his problems with copyright infringement right. and all that. He's getting he's getting wise, yeah, <laughs> to all of the theft of his work. I mean, thankfully, he's not going so far as Edison did, where he like actually like put. One frame copyright card flashes in the middle of <laughs> shots, uh, which I thought was very obnoxious. Just watermarks. Yeah, not even like 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 literally like you would find a subliminal sort of just <laughs> flash of a copyright Thomas Edison. <laughs> oh, um, Edison. 
the basic structure of this movie, by the way, is that, uh, as we were saying, there are some adventurers, some 19th century aristocratic adventurers who uh, uh, decide to go on a huge voyage, and then they just, it's their hijinks going from place to place to place. So there's a lot of wide, like you were talking about with the miniatures, there's a lot of wide shots of lo- of locomotives and, and just conveyances of various sorts moving through pulled back landscapes. Um and uh, they go, they go to the Alps. They go to uh, the the sun, sun <laughs> the surface of the sun, <laughs> and they go underwater in a submarine. And then they go back and they have a celebration because yeah. that's how it, it ends end. with the parade. Because that's, yeah, yeah, that's how every movie ends. <laughs> I wonder, like, how many parades Melies was throwing in his backyard per year. You know, I have to imagine. At, at least five. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, given how many of his movies are lost, at yeah. least at least who knows five per many, year. Who knows how many more parades he did? <laughs> um, the man loves parades. Yeah, I did. I did very much enjoy this film. I I do think it was maybe missing some of the spark of Trip to the Moon and Kingdom of the Fairies. Yeah, I mean, I think that the action was a little less easy to follow, um, and you it's you don't get swept up in it quite as much. It's it's very hard to like quantify exactly how that works, but I I've been finding that there are some things that I can I can get swept up in and mm. some that I can't, even though in a lot of ways they're superficially similar. And I'm not right. exactly sure what's going mm. on there. Um certainly with this one I think maybe part of it is it, it almost feels like it's it's uh it's kind of uh overloading the bag in a weird metaphor. Um, it's like, it is kind of trying to do too much all at once. Sometimes it's got it's an not, yeah, enormous it's not so cast. There's a huge cast of characters that all look the same. Um, so there's just like a giant crowd kind of moving from scene to scene. And it, I think it would work a lot better with maybe like three, three people on screen. That's true. That's another problem that I've noticed with a lot of movies this year, but movies from this time in general is that, um, and this goes to, speaks to the visual storytelling again, is that uh, the, the the cameras are usually so far pulled back and we don't really get close-ups. Um, and the fidelity is so low that oftentimes it's hard to follow like what character is who and where and like what, whether it's one character in this scene or another character, um, not just in this movie, but like, because everything's so distant and so, uh, uh, you know, hard to see clearly, sometimes it's a little hard to like tell, oh, is this the same person from that last scene or is this a new person? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I was noticing that a lot with the Porter movies, Mm, um, which we'll talk about later. (laughs) Um, (laughs) our catchphrase. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything else about this? I mean, the the sun surface was so cool. Very um, cool. Uh, no pun and no backwards pun intended. Um, it's like, I mean, Melies loves hellscapes, and so <laughs> the sun is kind of the perfect hellscape. It, to to the degree that they they know they're planning to go to the sun, so they bring. It's almost like this Chekhov's ice container. Yeah, you know. Uh, you, you see it Check at the beginning of the movie. Car full of ice. 
<laughs> you see it at the beginning of the movie and you're like, oh, I wonder what that means. And then, you know, 16 minutes into this 20-minute movie, they're on the sun and they're they're so hot. And so they go inside of the uh, the ice train car and then freeze into a block of ice. Right. And then have rather, to get rescued. Rather than take by... off their, like, 1900s, like, wool coats that they're wearing everywhere. <laughs> that would be undignified. Yeah. We can't um, have that. Of course, then they they all freeze in the train car, and uh, Engineer Krasilov has to light a fire to to thaw them out again, <laughs> uh, which is great fun. Um, that was definitely Melies' biggest movie from this year. There were a few other, a few others I watched. Um, one I don't know if you watched or not, but I, I want to mention just because my synopsis of it is funny, uh-huh. um, and that is the Cook in Trouble. Mm, I missed um, that one. That one I'll describe it to you right now, which is a cook is mean to a wizard, so the wizard sends imps to ruin the cook's soup. <laughs> and if that isn't you know, the most George Melies plot of a movie, I don't know what is. That's just so classic Melies. I, I I need to I need to sit down and watch that just to just to enjoy it. We're getting all, we're getting all you know all fancy with all these new movies, and sometimes you just want some some imps and a wizard. <laughs> Um, there's a surprisingly somber Melies movie this year. Yeah, I was shocked by how somber it is. Uh, The Christmas Angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, another Christmas movie. That's our, like, the fourth or fifth Christmas movie that we've watched. In, it's a big in genre. The, in the history of film. <laughs> it's, al- it's already a, a definitely a recurring thing. Like, a, people love Christmas movies. I mean, it was olden times. They they just liked the, they just liked the the small amount of joy that Christmas gave them yeah. so much, uh, because their life without you know ibuprofen or whatever right. was was so terrible I, I and do, painful. I think about half of these Christmas movies are very kind of like somber, tragic stories too, like this one. That's true. I mean, this is all like kind of post. Um, christmas carol mm. where yeah very dickensian um, yeah where like there, there's a lot of sadness mm-hmm. <laughs> at, at christmas time yeah and that's that's the case with this one definitely a lot of sadness cold poverty yeah like lots of movies of people like dying in the street while it's snowing yeah too. <laughs> that was a big thing back then apparently <laughs> they hadn't invented coats yet yeah well i mean unless they're going to the sun <laughs> um, I mean, I, it, that is like an inherently very dramatic thing to see of like someone dying on the street in the snow. Um, I can't think of the last movie I saw where that happened, but I, I'm there's that I'm sure every year, if you were to, to look hard enough, you can find a movie from every year where someone dies yeah. in the street. In the there snow. was like that the death of somebody from Bleak House or whatever the right. the Dickens one. Yeah, or um, that was might have been two years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the the basic thing of this movie is it's like there's a poor family and uh, was they send their daughter mm-hmm. out yeah to uh, go beg for food. Um, does not work. It doesn't <laughs> work out. Uh, <laughs> no one gives her food, and then I think she almost dies in the snow, but a a, a good Samaritan saves her and brings her back to the house. And then I think an ain't or maybe an angel shows up. I don't remember. I watched this a few days ago. I'm so sorry. 
Oh, that's all right. So, so well, the first thing is that she's like suffering in the snow, and and like a hobo kind of walks up to her and, and shows her a little bit of mercy and gives her some bread. Um, but then she like kind of collapses again. And so here's the thing that I was going to tell you about this movie is that there were two endings of this movie. <gasps> One this for is, this is my surprised sound. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, th- this is how much I told you, but there's more. Oh, hello, dog. Uh, oh, hi, doggy. Uh, <laughs> there is a French version and a version for British and American audiences. Oh. Um, and the French version is darker. Of course. Uh, and, <laughs> and the American one is has a happy ending. Um, so, in the French one, she dies in the street... And uh, and then she, like, goes up to heaven and is, like, brought to heaven by the Christmas angel. Uh, but the Christmas angel uh, has less of a presence in the American one, because in the American one, they're like, no, she can't die. And so uh, some rich family drives up in a car and then saves her and brings her back. And then, like, an angel just kind of appears because everybody's happy. Right. I saw that one. Yeah, that's the only one I could find online. But oh, I was like... I'm I'm not sure. Is this the first time that we've seen like a, a movie's tone altered for different markets? Uh, certainly not this blatantly. I don't think. Um, yeah. I'm sure there've been sort of like edits made and things like that, but I I don't remember if we've ever really uh, found like proper documentation of like two whole versions of something. Yeah. Um. On I mean, the on the Wikipedia, it was talking about how uh, or. As film historian Elizabeth Ezra has noted, these differences suggest that the American audience's predilection for a happy ending was already well in place by the turn of the century. Mm. Yeah, we should we should probably start crediting real people instead of Wikipedia says. We got to be honest and say that that's where we're doing our research. <laughs> I saw someone on Facebook a couple weeks ago talking about how important primary research is. And I was like, I ain't got the time for that for my <laughs> history podcast, dog. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, this isn't really a, a, a scholarly examination, I guess. It's, it's no. you know. This is, this is we learn and you listen if you think it's interesting. Yeah. Also, like, a lot of this stuff is, a lot of this information is so hard to come by outside of Wikipedia yeah um like whoever has done the research on all these things hats off to them because they're doing they're doing good work i'm sure there are film books that have this kind of thing but Mm. it's like yeah a lot of the relevant primary research would be in french for this stuff yeah um because no one wants to read about what the americans are doing in edison whatever who cares (laughs) um and uh, and yeah, it's all these ancient documents that are probably in archives somewhere, but I don't know how to how to look at that stuff. Mm, yeah. Um, um, but speaking of the British, I mean, this movie feels like one of the British movies, it, like stylistically. It does. Yeah, it's very um, unfantastical. It's unfantastical. It's camera angles that we're not really used to him seeing, or at least compositions that we're not used to seeing. Right. There's still kind of that like kind of. Uh, wide pulled back um somewhat theatrical uh f- like framing 
that we that we're used to seeing from Elias. Yeah, but we've got like um, some some like deep sets where yeah. a lot of a lot of the time his sets are very like they suggest depth with a painting, but like it's just some stuff happening in one plane pretty much mm-hmm. in front of the screen. Whereas like there's I remember there was like a street scene in this one where there were actually like built out sets like going going back into yeah. the into yeah. the screen. Uh which you don't see from him. Yeah. Um that also had a kind of a cool cross section in it too, where there's like the inside and the outside were built as the same set and they're both on screen at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um and it's and it's a lot it's it's shot very like non fantastically, but also fairly realistically. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. It looks like some of this could have been on location, but maybe maybe not. Um Yeah. Uh, I just knowing what I know about how he shot movies, I kinda doubt it. But he, he you know, he would occasionally go off and shoot stuff on location, so I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> Um, um, he did a lot of other movies this year that aren't really that notable. <laughs> a lot of like trick films. Yeah, he's continuing to pad um, out his big stuff with trick films, yeah. and his trick films are getting longer now because that's like more of a thing that can be done, yeah. I suppose. Um, one that did stand out to me was the terrible Turkish executioner, which yeah. is a heck of a title. Um, yeah. it continues his obsession with beheading. Um. Which, as as we learned, is the first ever, ever special effect. So, you know, beheading is is the oldest effect in in history. Oh, you're talking about Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah, it's the first time anyone right. did like a uh, effect thing. So, yeah, beheading is is the oldest the oldest one in the book. Um, <laughs> but there's an effect in this one where a guy gets like chopped in half, and his torso's on the ground, and his legs are walking around, and then his yes. legs walk over to him, and he kind of grabs them and like sticks his torso back in the legs and i genuinely don't know how he did it yes though i was gonna ask you like that was that was the main thing about this movie i thought like i needed to bring up was that he got the legs to walk by themselves and they looked like person legs right but it also didn't look like there was some torso that was getting masked off or whatever right I kept thinking of different ways, especially like ways that we've seen him do effects before. I was like, oh, it's a split screen. It's like the top half of the screen is like a different plate or whatever. But then there's other actors in the same shot that are like crossing behind the legs and like on the same. And I was like, what? How did he do this? This is incredible. (laughs) My my best guess is like just really solid marionette work. Maybe. But but then like also the guy like sticks himself back on the legs and i couldn't see like a splice there was no jump it must have been a splice it must be i I don't i don't think it could be done any other way but it's so well it's so seamless you know he's good at splices yeah he's very good Um, at it by now but i was i was very impressed with the uh the effects in that movie yeah, and the beheading stuff in this movie is pretty fun, too. Like, there's f- four guys <laughs> that are put in a, a four-person stocks. Um, yeah, and then, uh, a big a guy oversized with one, sword. Yeah, with one fell swoop with his cartoony scimitar, just, like, swipes them all off at once, throws them in a barrel, and then takes a smoke break, and the, the heads reanimate themselves, and, uh, and then go back to their bodies and... and thrash him um. <laughs> another classic uh, silent film genre somebody gets a thrashing 
Um, but yeah, should we use? We mentioned British films. Should we talk about some of some of those? Sure. Um, some some good some good British films this year. I actually think my, if not my favorite movie, the movie I had the strongest reaction to, was a British film. Okay. Um, directed by Percy Stowe, who I have to do a, a correction. Co-directed Alice in Wonderland from 1903, which I had previously said was uh, was it Hepworth solely directed by Cecil Hepworth. It was oh. actually co-directed by Cecil Hepworth and Percy Stowe. So this year, Percy Stowe by himself directed a movie called The Mistletoe Bow. B- Bow. The Bow by Stowe. Yeah. Mistletoe Bow, spelled B O U G H. Yeah. Maybe because, like, the way the Brits spell hiccup, maybe that's pronounced bup, buh. Maybe. <laughs> I can only imagine Mistletobo is is the title of this movie. Um, <laughs> I'd never heard of it, and uh, I did not uh, I did not see where it was going. <laughs> no. uh, there's a, yeah, there's a I, big old twist in this movie, it turns out. Like, if I were drinking something, I would have done a spit take when I went halfway through this movie. Yeah. Well, did did you watch it? So, uh, I could not find um, anywhere online the full version of the movie. The full version of the movie, I think, is about about ten minutes long. Oh wow! Or eight? I think it's eight minutes. Um, uh-huh. The only one I could find online is a a shortened three minute version, um, because uh, BFI won't let uh, the people in the U.S. watch the longer one. You can only what? watch the three minute version. Dude. Um, it's copyright free. Why yeah, would I know. You, it's, it's, why would you walk uh, it away from people? I would think someone would have just taken it and put it on YouTube by now, but apparently not. Um, so the three minute version has sort of like new added title cards to explain what is what happened in between and to sort of give context of the plot of the movie. And it, it gives you the whole story. It's still a, an effective movie, even with yeah. that. Yeah. On it. Um, but it starts out with a. a a, a nice wedding happening and then we learn that the bride wants to play hide and seek as you do on a as wedding you do, day as you <laughs> the only only two films ever do this this and um ready or not <laughs> the two that, wedding hide and seek uh death films that's true wow that that really baffled me i was like what what in the world is this film going it's for a, it's an old english ghost story don't ask questions okay. um this is apparently like an old <laughs> like English ghost story um, mm-hmm. that oh. has has long history. I'm giving away the twist now. Um, the bride goes and hides in a chest and is never found again until title card flash forward 30 years. <laughs> the sad widower in his house who's never stepped into one of the rooms in his giant house before. Well, he sees her ghost. Right. Um, and that her ghost leads him up to, uh, like a tower that he's never been in and he finds the chest and he opens the chest and then sort of clutches his, his mouth in, in terror. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. I was so, I was so, so shocked because they're just playing a game of 30, of hide and seek and then they give up and you think like, she'll go like, Okay you know we're done playing hide and seek but then it's 30 years later right and he's a sad old man who lives by himself in his mansion 
and in 30 years has never found a carcass in his house yeah um but spooky spooky story for sure um yeah logistical leaps notwithstanding um and yeah like i i see the title mistletoe bow i'm like oh this is like a nice like mistletoe oh they'll be like smooching and stuff it'll be like a nice fun oh there's a (laughs) wedding this is great and then yeah hide and seek okay kind of kind of silly and wacky and then 30 years later there's a ghost (laughs) and a corpse um i'm sure in maybe in the longer version there's a bit less like tonal whiplash um, maybe, maybe a bit but more I, of, I like the tonal whiplash. Me too. Um, and I liked that sort of like the the original title card comes up saying 30 years later, which is, I was just like, what? That was a very uh, Avengers Endgame-y moment for me. Um, we'll get to that. <laughs> this might be the first movie with a a sort of like blank time later title card. Sort of a, fl- uh, you know, yeah. a, a, a time jump, as, yeah. as they say in the biz. Do they? Yeah. In, like, the, the science fiction biz? Yeah, it's a time jump. It's like, oh, yeah, in, like, season four of The Americans, there's a time jump. Hmm. Yeah, could be. Um, it's the first one that I've seen. I mean, I, people are still kind of figuring out intertitles and mm-hmm. uh, having one... I guess that is pretty significant, actually, now that I think about it. Like, that... Uh, spanning a huge amount of time with a title card um you know it's a new relationship right. with time itself within the medium mm. hmm. time it's, i can't i don't want to steal gags from uh uh comedy bang bang little comedy sue sue us <laughs> The clockkeeper um, says, not funny. Um, <laughs> not funny. <laughs> now we're stealing, of, now we're stealing yes. jokes from John Mulaney. <laughs> uh, what else was British? Oh, one thing that I thought was really cool that was British was grand display of Brock's fireworks oh, at yeah. the Crystal Palace. Very cool. Um, this one is... You know, more of his experimentation, mm-hmm. which I think he's one of the most experimental people at this time um, with with style and technique. And this is like a recorded fireworks display, um, but tinted and, and, and dyed in very extreme colors Yeah, um, to recreate the fireworks colors, but in this very like hyper real look. It's really cool looking. Right. It, it looks... Almost like a, a cross between live action and animation, because yeah. it's like actual footage of fireworks going off and like things shooting out and sparks, but like different parts of the firework are color different colors and it's different sparks and there's like patterns and things that you wouldn't even get with a real fireworks show. It's even more, like you said, it's it's a heightened reality. It doesn't look like a real fireworks show. It looks like this sort of. Uh, I don't know, colorful display of, of shapes and and uh, sparks. And yeah, it, get, it gets kind of abstract in a way. Yeah. Um, because the colors get so blown out that at points it's hard to tell what you're actually looking at, but you're seeing cool colors anyway, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, a recommendation for anyone who watches this, I should have recommended it to you before you did. 
Uh, I watched it with Claire de Lune playing under it because I like the Oceans movies. Um, and I realized that Claire de Lune was published 1905. So it's actually very era appropriate. Ah, WC. WC. Um, um, that was fun. Uh, yeah. There was, was um, an interesting story, I believe, is a, uh, a British film. Yes. If I'm remembering James Williamson's nationality correctly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I believe that is the case, yes. All right. An interesting story is about a guy reading a very good book. Um, he's just got his, his his head in his book all the time, and he keeps, he keeps running into things and causing hijinks. Oh, it's called an interesting story because the book that he's reading is too interesting. Right. The interesting story is, is the story within the story. Just... I thought it was just tooting its own horn no. about how good the movie <laughs> itself was. Well, maybe it's maybe it's a it's a double meaning. It's like, oh, he's reading an interesting story. Also, the story about him reading the interesting story, pretty interesting. Yes. Um, but anyway, so he's he's always running into stuff and like causing hijinks because he's he's got his eyes in his book until it escalates to him being run over by a steamroller, <laughs> and then uh, he has to be reinflated by some some bicyclists. With their bike pumps, in a very Roger Rabbity manner. Yeah. Um. But the I I I had a good, genuine guffaw at, you know he's like, he's like running at people on the street. He's like oh like his you know he's pours his coffee in his hat like oh funny fun and then it's, and then hard cut there's a steamroller coming at him, <laughs> an actual honest to goodness steamroller. Um. And I just I immediately started laughing. That's that's it's such a good reveal of that where you, you know exactly where it's going. Um, so then he, he gets flattened and then they, they use bug pumps to inflate him back up. Um, one YouTube video of it. There's usually a bunch of YouTube videos of all of these. One of them labels this as the first slapstick film, which is so absurd. Not even close. But 10 years too late on that one. Um, but, you know. Sure. Yeah, I wonder what the criteria for that. That's that's change before going productions. They have that like film first playlist that generally I've been trusting. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe by some definition, this is the first slap. No, no not, way. Not even sprinkler no. sprinkled takes a cake. That is slap. <laughs> that is slapstick to a T. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Unless I'm wildly misunderstanding the meaning of slapstick. Oh, no, that wasn't a yeah with a question mark. That was a yeah with an exclamation point. Oh, okay. I was like, yeah! Yeah. Mm. There we uh, go. <laughs> that one yeah, sounds this one's, right. Yeah! <laughs> um, yeah, this one's, this one's fun. It's, uh, yeah. it's uh, hijinks. I, I figured you'd, you'd, you'd like this one, since what was your favorite movie from a couple years ago was the, the car exploding one. This, this kind of <laughs> reminded me of that a little bit. Was that that's true? Was that also James Williamson? That was Cecil Hepworth. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, I don't know if there were there any other British films. Mm-hmm. I think we're gonna have to start. Let's start talking about the Americans pretty soon. Ugh. <laughs> um, let's let's keep it in um, let's keep it in Europe for a second and go to Ferdinand Zecca, um, and. I mean, I don't know actually how much I have to say about this movie, because, like, Zeka. So, this is a movie called The Strike. 
um, or La Greve. La Greve. Um, and uh, I think with History of a Crime, I had gotten the the idea that Zeka was an edgier person than yeah. uh, he actually is. Yeah, because, because he's he's very like moralizing. And yeah. I mean, maybe the the forty five minute long Jesus movie should have told me something. But he's he's very like alcohol is bad, gambling is bad. Yeah. Don't be upsetting things by striking, or you'll <laughs> suffer consequences. <laughs> yeah, I thought while watching this, Fernand Zeka's kind of whole thing, his like thesis of like all of his movies is, won't somebody think of the children? <laughs> won't somebody please think of the that children is like, that is like his guiding philosophy behind all of his movies um, yeah. and yeah history of crime is definitely like it does feel kind of edgy um, and that that you know that streak does not really continue um, yeah I mean honestly I would say that maybe what we were perceiving in that movie as edginess and as sympathy for the criminal mm. might have been uh uh like warnings you know like like dire severe warnings like if you descend into alcoholism then you will go you will become a criminal who robs people right. you know yeah um rather than like having an empathetic point of view toward yeah. like um, oh this criminal he he was just a uh he's got a story he, too you know, he you was know. impoverished he had an alcohol problem um, yeah, um, it definitely seems like Zek is not super sympathetic towards towards those things. Um, <laughs> he makes he makes some good movies. Uh, yeah. in other cases, I think this one's kind of messy though. Um, a little bit. Um, uh, definitely the the ending is very weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so it yeah it's it there's like a scene of a of a, a strike happening and then the the cops I guess shoot a bunch of people who were striking um and then a um a woman throws a rock and hits the like the factory manager in the head and so is is like taken away and it or no she she's sort of taken away by the crowd and then the cops come to her house and then arrest her in front of her children yep and then just the children are trying to go after right, her and, and, just and they push just her, push them away <laughs> get out of here <laughs> Um, More of these. Uh, I guess this is just what French cops looked like. They like well, looked like Jean Valjean right, at this yeah. time. I, I think you're thinking of uh, Jean, Jean Valjean is the guy who's who's stealing bread. You're thinking of you're uh, correct of Javert. Uh, Javert. <laughs> how could I forget? He says, "And I'm Javert." Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, how could it's, I forget? It's his literally name? in the lyrics. <laughs> and I am Javert. In case you'd forgotten, <laughs> don't forget my name. Um. And then, yeah, in in court, her kids kind of come to appeal that, no, no, the strikers were wrong, and so they let her go. Um, this is purely just from the synopsis, synopses that I found. Like, her kids kind of come and, like, just kind of cry, and then they let her go. That's really all that happens on screen. Yeah. Um, so without reading the synopsis, I thought they were just, like, sympathetic because of the crying children. But apparently the intention is that, like, the kids come to an appeal, try to appeal to the, the court as, like, no, 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 we were wrong. We apologize for supporting the strike. 
Oh, wow. I didn't um, realize that. Jeez. But then it, yeah. And so that kind of leads credence to the thought that, like, Ferdinand Zeka is not uh, not sympathetic towards the, the striker's cause. Um, but then it, it ends with this weird, there's a title card then that says the future or l'avenir in French. Mm. And, uh, there's a, a guy in overalls, uh, working with some, some like blacksmith tools. And then there's a, a kind of a bearded, besuited man who opens a safe and just pours a bunch of money on the ground. <laughs> like, check this out. And then the 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 worker kind of lays all his tools on top of the money and then an angel appears with uh with a um it's like it's just it's the scales of right, justice with scales. it's like the personified justice and I so guess. the the worker puts his a tool on the scale and then the the money man puts his money on the scale i guess to sort of to imply that like in the future these things will balance each other out i guess this was like this ending was a little baffling to me. Yeah, me too. I had to watch <laughs> what, it a few times to really try to understand what he was going for. Like, why is he pouring the money on the ground? Why? Yeah, I mean, I guess... I feel like they're, I mean, they're both, like, giving up their thing. They're both, like, shedding themselves of, like, the mm-hmm. thing that they're associated with, I guess. I don't know. Right. I'm probably giving uh, this more thought than it deserves. <laughs> I mean, maybe this isn't, like, such an anti-striker movie as a, like, why can't we all get along movie. I think that's the intention. Um, I don't really think that his, his real intention is, like, people who strike are bad. Yeah. Um, I think his intent is much more sort of, like, there's this conflict happening, and there needs to be a better balance. This is a time, as we've learned from our news segments, of a lot of worker unrest yeah um i would say probably because probably because of all the exploitation Um, of them happening yeah and i mean maybe by definition or or by necessity these movies are being made by rich people um and so they probably have some empathy toward uh uh the capitalist class Mm. um <sighs> but this is a time that all that kind of stuff is getting uh, thought about. And I guess uh, Zekka's perspective is la 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 la. <laughs> don't, don't, please. <laughs> I like the status quo. Please stop. Please stop saying things, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I do appreciate Ferdinand Zekka's, like, attempts at, um, he's, he's, he's making movies about things. Like he's he is trying to like yeah. put real sort of like social commentary into his movies. That's true. Oh, you know what? I just uh, remembered. Uh, I was I was just going over that last scene again on YouTube, and I just got a recommendation for our earliest Zeka movie we talked about, which was a little more lurid, um, which was uh, the Through the Keyhole. Oh yeah. Um, which is not very moralizing, really. No. It's, it, it stars a very like a, a very morally suspect character. Right. It's it's instead it's in the the other silent film genre of a perv does a pervy thing and gets gets a thrashing. <laughs> we need to just come up with a a solid list yeah. of early film keywords. You know. Yeah. It's like it, early tropes. Yeah. It's uh, serpentine dance. Yeah. Thrashing. <laughs> Yep, yep. Ghosts, imps. 
uh, teleports, scamps, scamps. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of scamps, trains, um, Dis- uh, uh, decapitations. <laughs> um. <laughs> It's so weird how, like, there's these very specific things that everyone just latches onto. Because they all are just ripping each other off yeah, constantly. It's, it's very I mean, true. it gives me so much respect to the people who are coming up with original ideas mm-hmm. because it's so much get people ripping each other off. I mean, yeah. one, like, actually just light trick film that was just fun that Zeka made was the, um, the floating bicycle one. Right. Um... Which is just fun, and it's very inventive, and then got promptly ripped off yeah. by Edwin S. Porter. Speaking of Speaking Edwin of. S. Porter, <laughs> he made a Speaking of he made a very uh, I, I felt Zeka esque movie this year. Mm, mm. Which one are you talking about? You're talking about the the ex the ex convict, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was kind of surprised that this movie like was talking about issues that are still kind of relevant contemporarily. Although I would say that this might not be Zekka-like because this actually does have empathy for the situation <laughs> of of a of a criminal, right. you know. But I um, I think just it reminded me I think particularly of History of a Crime in that mm-hmm. in that it is about like a like a thing, like an issue, like a social issue. Yeah. Um the issue in this one is how hard life is for ex-convicts. Yeah. Um, Which, yeah, I, I was surprised, too, at sort of how sympathetic it was also. Like, particularly, we, we think of, like, old movies as, as being very kind of morally black and white also. I think of, like, yeah. cops, robbers, hey, it's a bad guy. Right. Whereas this is, like, a pretty sobering portrait of an ex-convict getting the short end of the stick because of his past um, yeah, um, he gets rejected for jobs. Well, uh, I don't think it was even. An, I, I think he had a job, and like a cop recognized him and like ratted him out to his employer. That's that oh, was that, what that was in that, that was early scene? that was my takeaway from it. That could be. Yeah, I was thinking specifically of that scene where um, uh, he was trying to get a new job and. He goes up and and all the men in front of him oh, get yeah. led into the factory and then they turn him around. Right. No, I, I um, forgot about that scene. That is definitely like everyone else gets a job and they're like, "Not you." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like you know, he's like starving in the street and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so it's does it even it doesn't even talk about what he did. I, I don't think, think it. I don't think it ever once gives any indication about what he was um, in prison for. No. It just, yeah, it just says he was an ex-convict. Well, it says, there's, a, there's a title card that comes up saying, <laughs> this man is an ex-convict. <laughs> the, the, this kind of speaks to the, like, inconsistency in the title card usage, because, like, some of the, a lot of the title cards in this movie were phrased as if someone were speaking them, uh, mm. but they were actually something they were actually just kind of like the setup or, or they, they were the the synopsis of the scene that you're about to watch mm-hmm. um so it's like you're trying to like interpret the whole time what the exact meaning right. of the uh title card is which 
they're supposed to help you. So. <laughs> <laughs> that one in particular, the, the one that says this is an ex-convict kind of stuck out to me and that it, it felt like it is kind of like more conversational and more like directly addressing the audience. Yeah. Whereas most... Even then later typical, uh, later um, title cards typically wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. More, they're usually, uh, they are just kind of like a title of a scene or like a description of a scene. Yeah. Or dialogue. Hmm. Although we haven't really gotten much dialogue title cards yet. Not much, though. I mean, I think that's generally how they be used later. Yeah, yeah. That's sort of definitely my association with them uh, in silent film is as dialogue. But I don't right. know if that's ever actually happened yet. I think it has. Just a little bit, mm. though. I can't remember what, though. Um, well, so he's out in the street, and he sees a kid that's about to get hit by a car. Uh, and so he saves the kid, uh, and, you know, good job, pat on the head to you, ex-convict, but he continues to live a garbagey bad <laughs> life, um, after he saves the kid, and then, uh, he's in such dire straits, and, and recidivism, uh, Ooh. because this movie's about things. Ooh, what a word um, that he, is. He's, he's in such dire straits that he goes and tries to steal from a house, um uh to to survive and it turns out that it, and he gets caught by the people in the house and it turns out that it is the house of the family of the kid that he saved the very family of and the kid so that he saved the very family <laughs> stop we have to stop ripping <laughs> off comedy bang bang i wanted to say it in that voice but i restrained myself well that's what i'm here for <laughs> Um, and, and yeah, and so it's sort of like they, they show some sympathy and they help him out afterward and like happily ever after kind of. Yeah. Um, uh, this movie, like all of Edwin S. Porter's movies is a little long winded. Yeah. A little too long. Um, but it definitely, I feel like this one stuck out as like, he is honing his storytelling skills. He's getting better. Um, at least well, in this one he is in this one I mean he's honing his storytelling skills sure but like the great train robbery has storytelling skills three times as good as this true um, so because he had help I think one. this year is just everybody like slacking yeah. as far as I'm concerned it, 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 Every, it feels like an off year for pretty much everybody yeah like Melies, Zeka Porter to yeah. whatever degree that he's actually good. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's worse this year. <laughs> oh boy. Um, what else can we talk about? Another Porter film? Um, Would you like to? Sure. Uh, there's one photographing a female cook, which is not, not much of a film. Crook, right? Crook. Yes. Yeah, not cook. Yeah. She is a crook. Yeah. Um, another, another, uh, convict related movie yeah um this one kind of feels like it's mostly just edmund s porter kind of uh butting into george albert smith's subgenre of uh people making silly faces i mean that's not exclusively a, a george albert smith thing i mean that, that was like the the facial genre from uh, like the early Edison days kind of was in there too. It's just nobody, we didn't really want to pay attention to those movies because right, they're, they're boring. boring. It's just people um, making funny faces. <laughs> uh, but as 
I I don't know if this is actually a, a first, but it's certainly the first time I think I've noticed it, which is uh, an, a proper dolly shot, which is to say a, the camera physically moving forward into a close-up. Oh, huh. Um, well, I mean, I guess it's been used for an effect before. Right, but it's never uh, just been, it's always been to try to make something appear as if it's getting larger. We've never, it's never been like the camera's moving closer to a thing. Yeah. Um, hmm. So yeah, it, it's, it's a bit probably um, maybe a bit pedantic to call this the first dolly shot. Um, but certainly in its usage, it feels like the first proper uh, dolly shot. Mm-hmm. Huge if true is what I wrote. Mm, important if true. Uh, um, another podcast. Another podcast that we'd is, love to rip yes. off. <laughs> um, what else? Na- would you name like dropping all the other podcasts that we listen to. <laughs> um, we can talk about European Rescuer because why not? Okay. Um, another climbing the Alps movie. After Impossible Voyage. Uh-huh. Yeah, true. But not as good. Another, another, yeah, more vacation uh, uh, shenanigans. Yeah. Uh, going on a trip uh, in a rocket ship. There's no rocket know, ship one. in this one, is there? No, no, no. 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 Nothing that interesting. No. This, not from the Americans. No. This one did kind of remind me, this is just about an old man having a comedically chaotic vacation through Europe and also Egypt because I guess that was considered Europe back then. Um, they were trying to make it that way. <laughs> yeah, they tried. Um, one thing that's kind of stuck out to me with this one is it opens with a lot of like actuality footage like of the boat leaving mm. which is just a real boat leaving. Um, and then oh, yeah, I guess that's true. And then kind of Probably. turns into a more stylized like backdrop heavy movie. Um, yeah, just using actuality footage that they had on hand, mm-hmm. maybe, uh, to uh, incorporate it into yeah. uh, almost like stock footage yeah. Um, yeah. for their movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one mostly just kind of feels like like a, a goofy 90s vacation comedy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's the thing, is it's like, uh, we, were, we were talking about uh, Edward S. Porter's sloth-like pace with a lot of his (laughs) films and i think that i I was thinking when i was watching this movie if this movie were tighter then it would work really well Mm. for for the, the jokes would really land right but like rather than just like thing thing happening and then it going wrong thing happening then it going wrong Every scene is this like drawn out two minute long, just waste of time. Mm. <laughs> Speaking of uh, film films that are drawn out and uh, wastes of time, um, oh my God, this is not a, a, good a real a real a real twofer. <laughs> um, one directed by Edwin S. Porter, how a Frenchman, yeah. how, no, how a French nobleman got a wife through the New York Herald personal columns, which is much too long of a title. And the relatively better personal, directed by Wallace uh, McCutcheon. Yeah. Um, I did skim through the Porter one, too. These two movies are 
nearly shot for shot identical. Like, to the point where it's kind of hard to tell them apart, but they are different movies. Yeah, I had no idea that they were... Like, you, you, you could skip into the middle of this movie, of one of these movies, and then think that you're in the middle of the other one. Yeah. Oh, easily. Um, and so the setup is very, very simple. Um, oh, here's another uh, Here's another uh, uh, early film trope is chases. Right, right, yeah. It's becoming a big, a big, a big one. Yeah. Um, the setup is, well, I like, I like the opening of personal because it just shows a personal ad mm-hmm. being taken out or personals ad being taken out in the New York Herald. Um, personal says, is the better of the two in almost every respect. Hmm. Well, Porter, um, <clears throat> it says wanted a young, wealthy gentleman would like to meet a young, attractive woman. Meet me at Grant's tomb Monday at noon. <laughs> oh, the most romantic place to meet a lady. <laughs> I don't know why, but they're both they're both about somebody meeting ladies at Grant's tomb. Yeah. Uh same location then, both times. Yeah, and it's almost like the same shot too. It is it is um, yeah, it's same pretty much the same exact shot. Uh and then uh, ladies come up and meet the person. The person's waiting around for a second. Ladies come up, and then more and more of them come up because he is a hot commodity. He's wealthy. Um, is the is the implication? Yeah. Hmm. A uh, bunch of bunch of gold diggers. Bunch of surround gold. him and start chasing him. <laughs> and they chase him and chase him and chase him. Well, and the way that and chase the him. way that this chase is is visualized for the for the movie is that we see a locked off shot of a landscape we see the 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 rich guy run through and then one by one we see each of the i want to say 8 to 12 women cross cross frame and then the next one enters and crosses frame and then the next one enters and crosses frame and this goes on for a while and there's a lot of scenes of this. And it's just that over and over, over again. And it reminds over. me of uh, no, no change. the Life of an American Fireman, where I was like, okay, I get it. Fire trucks are going to the scene. <laughs> <you know? laughs> Eight minutes later, in real time, we see them, <laughs> we see them travel. I, I, uh. Uh, personal is a little bit better. The ladies uh, are, are at least sort of entering screen at the same time, like they're kind of crowded together a little bit more. So the shots mm-hmm. are a little bit shorter. Um, and then personal also ends very differently in uh, how a French and woman got away through the New York Herald personal columns ends with the guy wading out into a river. And one of the women wades out into the river after him. And that's the one that he ends up with in personal. Um, one of the women trips and causes a pile up, a woman behind her sort of police car style. Um, and then one kind of gets through and confronts the man and pulls a gun on him and then th- threatens the rest of the women. Like he's mine. And then they end up together. Yeah, that is better. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's at least a more dramatic, visually interesting ending for the movie. 
And personal, by the way, is shot by Billy Bitzer. Oh yeah, Billy Bitzer. Um, great name. Who is kind of coming coming to prominence now at the Biograph Company, um, and will soon become D.W. Griffith's number one guy. Yeah, he's probably like the first, maybe the first like famous like director of photography in terms of like separate separate from a director. The first guy to be like, I guess. he's well known for being uh, a camera guy, a cinematographer, as it were. I suppose. I mean, well, except that Billy Bitzer has directed his own movies. He has. And um, a lot of, like, Edwin S. Porter started as a cinematographer, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, I think, like, these roles are pretty ill-defined at this they point. They are. Maybe. But uh, at least... My understanding of Billy Bitzer is that he is he's famous for like uh creating new camera techniques and for being a uh a cinematographer and camera operator more so than a director. So fair enough. Um, um You got anything else? Uh there's one more uh Chase movie we can talk about. Yeah. Um another American, Jack Frawley. Directed the bold bank robbery, um, which is, you know, pretty clearly capitalizing on the popularity of popularity of the Great Train Robbery. Yeah, um, finally Edwin S. Porter gets some of his own yeah. medicine. But I'm just being extremely mean <laughs> I know. to him this episode. No, it's, it's it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, he probably deserves it. Um, I think it's unfair to call this like a ripoff though, because it's other than it being like a robbery chase movie, it it's it's original like it's not really pulling any any scenes from it or anything um yeah, it's different uh i thought it was pretty good it's a cool sort of like um kind of like how the great training robbery is not technically the first western but it kind of might as well be this isn't really technically the first like heist movie but it kind of might as well be in terms of like how many heist things are in this one there's like robbing the vault there's getting away in a car uh there's like i don't know like before it was just sort of like little chases whereas this is like a proper like people piling into a car after robbing a bank and uh that sort of thing the police giving chase yeah. um and then it's also got that scene was this from great train robbery or a different one from a year or two ago where uh they get on a train to escape, but then they're caught at the next station. That was one of the um, the the precursors to Great Train Robbery from the same mm. year, I think. Well, this one um, this one has that, yeah. and it actually shows <laughs> the process of how that works, which I thought was fun. It was um, uh, the the cops notice that the the robbers get onto the train, and so they go into the train station and have the guy send over on the telegraph to the next train station to mm. to have some have some fuzz meet him there at the next place. <laughs> and then he gets caught. Should have just jumped off. I'm sure those trains are going like five miles an hour. I don't know. So. They're probably going faster. Than I, don't know. I don't know how how fast old trains go. Tweet at us. How fast do old trains travel? <laughs> Tweet us at how fast do old trains travel at gmail.com <laughs> don't email us tweet at us at the email address <laughs> uh okay um uh favorite movie glenn um 
I want to say mistletoe bow. Okay. Just because it was it was the one I was like I really had the most like reaction to. And the the surprise of it, I love watching a movie that's a ghost story without knowing it's a ghost story. That's a, this maybe only the second time that's ever happened to me, but both times it has been a whirlwind. Is huh? It, I, I I hesitate to ask what the other movie is. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. Let's see. I mean, maybe actually. Despite all of my excoriation, uh, the ex-convict might be my favorite. Oh. I think that one's like, I think that one's interesting. It is, yeah. Um, I think it's got a lot going for it. This is like the first um, year where our favorite movies haven't been Lies. Maybe. Well, I liked. I, I did we do the favorite movies for last year? A Great Train Robbery, I liked a lot. Uh, I think that was we probably forgot last year. Last year. Oops. Whoopsie. Well, okay. Uh, that's it. Hopefully, nineteen oh five brings us some, <laughs> some some something better than this. Um, and uh, with that being said, I'll talk to you later, Glenn. See you next week. All right. Well, good. good to me. Oh yeah. She give me money when I'm in need. Yeah, she's a kind of. I got a woman way over town.